Um, all right. So Sean, thanks for coming. Thanks for joining me. Uh, for the folks out there that are watching this, um, Sean and I have chatted a few times. In fact, you've been a, a member of the Tech Founder Circle for, for a really long time. A great contributing member. And uh, you're a serial entrepreneur um, based out of Colorado. Um, you've, you've started this really cool recycle exchange company, which I want to dive into. Um, but when you and I were kind of talking about this, you know, one of the biggest questions that uh, tech founders have is, how do I effectively design my go-to-market strategy? Um, what should I consider in my go-to-market strategy? And so as you and I were kind of emailing back and forth, I thought it was really interesting about how you talked about um, how humility plays such, a, such an important role in go-to-market, which I totally agree with. And so I love this idea of combining uh, a value with an approach. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that today. I want to just thank you for joining me. Um, and maybe Sean, if, if we could just start as an introduction, a quick introduction on, um, tell us a little bit about your journey up until now. Why'd you start Recycle Exchange? Um, how you built the model and, and what is happening at this point? Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me on. It's, it's great to be here and uh, love to share my insight. And the word journey is the best way to say it. Um, I come from a background in telecom and technology for over 20 years. And so I've been in large corporation carrier formats. I've been in small startups. I've been involved in merger and acquisitions. And I've always worked for somebody else. And doing so, there was just kind of an inkling inside of me that, you know, I think as entrepreneurs, that's why you get that social entrepreneur title. As entrepreneurs, there's something that you want to do for yourself and own and put your name on. And, you know, after working for something for so long and being a part of an executive role, and I ran a global sales force for a billion dollar company. And I just, you know, I had what they call those golden handcuffs at times. So it was always hard to leave, but there was something yearning more than just the financial piece of it. And I live by a mantra that you'll see with, that we go by with Recycle Global Exchange and RGX mission is just to do better. And so by doing better is, you know, doing better in our daily lives, doing better in the business, doing better with relationships and, you know, coming from a world where I was an executive and working with vendors and customers and going into a startup mentality, the biggest thing that I've had to learn is humility. And because where you were to where you are are two different things in terms of trying to climb the ladder again. And you, you have relationships and partnerships and friendships, but, uh, it's a whole different feeling. It's a whole different experience. You know, what's interesting about what you're saying, you, you kind of remind me, I love that you just, you hit, I love your juxtaposition, you know, going from running global teams, being at the top and then going into foundership and, and starting a company, you are a hundred percent right because you answer to your buyer and yeah. your buyer doesn't care about your ego. Your buyer doesn't care what you've done. They care about the solution that you're providing to their problem. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I love that. So tell, tell, tell us a little bit about when did you realize that you were like, oh man, this is, this is different than what I'm used to. Um, you know, they always say, be careful of getting into business with friends and family. And so honestly, the best thing I can say is it's, it's hard to, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'm different. I can handle those relationships, but you don't realize going into it because when you go into the business aspect, it's just a different mentality people are in, right? And when I say being careful with it, it's just looking at 
not jeopardizing a relationship or a view on somebody as opposed to working with them and where you're both trying to earn money and, and, and success. And so those can be strenuous. And so you need to be very careful. And I've realized it's better to value those relationships and try to earn business relationships separate. But the hardest thing for me was, is that friends and family are the people you trust the most. So typically when you're going into a business or an endeavor, you want to go to the people that you trust the most to help you build something. And, but when you go into the business arena, as opposed to the personal arena, it's, it's, it's just two different worlds. Right. And so it's been a humbling experience for me. I've had to learn a lot. And basically, I guess the word eat crow on some of it, because I used to be at the top telling people things to do, and this is how it's going to be and listen to me and not really as a dictatorship, but just more of an, in a position of, of power, as opposed to being in a position now of kind of humility, right? Yeah, interesting. Very, very cool uh, story. And, and like I said, comparison. So um, when you tell us a little bit more about just the recycle exchange and the mechanics of what you do and, and the business model really quick. So we have context. Yeah, absolutely. So RGX is, was created because of there's inefficiencies in the industry. And so working in the former roles that I was in, I was work, working with tier one carriers, fortune 500 companies, and they were managing their asset electronic ITAD stands for internet information technology asset disposal. And so they were managing their ITAD disposals through email, spreadsheets, and Word docs. And they, I found that they were doing more admin work as opposed to being more efficient in, in, in getting the returns and, and getting the projects done. And being a vendor to those large customers, I was pulling my hair out. I was like, I'm waiting for that spreadsheet. Oh, that email's down. And so I noticed that there needed to be some automation. And you know, we're, we, we're here in the US and you would think that we're on the best top of technology, but it's interesting working with the large companies that are still working in rudimentary antiquated processes. And so... That gave us the idea. So I, I left my company and again, I was running the sales, but I was partnered with the gentleman that ran operations. And so it was kind of a yin and yang. I would sell it and he'd make sure he can deliver it. And he'd always keep me in check to make sure you don't outkick your punk coverage. So we left and together we went in and said, there's a better way to do this. And so we, this is when COVID started and we got together. We knew nothing about building software. We've worked with software, but uh, we had to find people to help us build a software solution. We custom built it. We bootstrapped it. We said, let's build a software cloud platform solution. And really what it is, it's a managed marketplace. So what, what it, you can do is a customer, a corporate client can go onto our service, put their inventory on there. And what it does is it matches up to the local vendor that's certified in recycling and disposal. And they are able to pick up the equipment in a local fashion, process the equipment, give the reports that are required to make sure that you're staying in compliance and handle the financial transaction all through our system. So a customer, typically most people are used to dashboards. The customer has the experience of just working through a dashboard instead of working through a spreadsheet or an email interface. And they can manage multiple vendors, multiple projects and uh, all the forms of reporting all in one solution. And so it makes the life easier. And when you're working with the large companies, it's very hard to become a vendor in the system. It's, they call it the hockey stick. It, you have to wait and wait and wait. Some companies go out of business. It could take anywhere from 12 to 18 months to get a contract with a large carrier or company. So, you know, there's tons of recycler vendors around the nation. And we have over 1200 vendors on our system 
But if you talk to the big companies, they're probably only working with a dozen of them. So there's a big gap in terms of making sure that they can work with a local vendor that's certified, making sure it's done completely without environmental impact, getting the higher returns, transparency to market, and making sure that they have an automation so that they're not tied up with admin work all day. So all of that together wraps up into the RGX platform solution. So it's like a marketplace that's a managed marketplace, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you you mentioned earlier that you bootstrapped. Are you guys, have you raised money since then? Or are you still bootstrapped? Uh, actually, yeah, we bootstrapped and we're coming to that bridge. And it's, it's another humility piece. It's like, oh, we'll be fine. We'll make all this money. And we built it, but we're, we have, uh, we're actually, we've made it to the next round. We're here in Colorado. We applied for a grant that we're hoping to win. Uh, we're considered a clean tech company because we, we help with environmental impact through our product and service, right? You can reduce carbon emissions, keeping it local and disposal compliance. So we have applied for a grant and we're hoping to win that. But in order to win the grant, you have to have a two to one match in there. And so we have to, the grant is for $250,000. So we have to make sure that we have at least a half a million in our bank account or they won't give us the grant. <laughs> so that's kind of said, okay, we bootstrapped the software and our IP, we got IP pe uh, patent pending and all that, but we don't have enough in the bank right now to say if we win the grant, we can win the grant. So we've actually gone to market and we're doing a capital raise right now. And so that's going to help bridge that gap as we're building up revenue and contracts and hopefully win this grant. So Yes, we are. We are doing a capital raise. We are in that that section of kind of scaling very quickly, and it's been a it's been a fun ride. Awesome. Yeah, your your model's really unique. It's actually quite exciting. I think it. it you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of reminds me of uh, like the bird model where you see scooters everywhere and then some random person goes and picks them up, charges them, and then puts them back on the street the very next day. So right. you've kind of created that marketplace where I could be, you know, that equivalent person in your marketplace Sure. that again, reduces carbon emissions. Cause like you said, most of the bigger companies are working with um, a very few brands, which means that they're probably shipping all of their stuff on planes all over the world, carbon emissions, right. like you're talking about, where it could be managed locally. And so yeah. it sounds like it's an op opportunity for other entrepreneurs who are like, hey, I could start this uh, exchange business on yeah. your platform. That's exactly it. And that's one of the reasons why we came out with the approach we are, is that we aren't a brick and mortar company. We're not the feet on the street doing the work. We are a managed marketplace. So we, I like to use the metaphor back when I was growing up, we had a, a school dance, right? The girls would be on one side, the boys would be on another. And then that perfect song came on and they'd come to the middle and dance, right? So kind of think of RGX as that perfect song in the dance hall is that we're trying to bring the glue of bringing the ecosystem together. And so when I say do better, it's not only for the customer for transparency and, and environmental impact, but it's also for all these local vendors, these small and pa mom and pa shops that have like one location, but they're in the strategic geographic location where material might be. And so they get a chance to work with a large carrier or a large technology company who they never could get approached to on their, on their own behalf. So we're giving the carrier access to a local vendor and the vendor access to a carrier so that they can meet together and reduce environmental impact. So it's kind of a win for everybody. And of course we're a marketplace like a match.com, Airbnb, where it's like you make the connection and we manage all the process over it, but it just, it, it, it's, it's a good feeling to know that you're doing better for everybody, right? 
Right, right. Yeah, everyone wins, right? So, exactly. so designing a product like that. Okay, so, ne- so now we have a good concept of what you're doing. Uh, we know the different personas, kind of the different personas that you're impacting. Let's now talk about what you learned in go-to-market. So if, if you're at the stage of like go-to-market, then you feel like you have a pretty good product market fit, I'm assuming. Yes. So we've reached that point. Yes. Okay. So, so now it's, let's go to market. So what, and it sounds also like you've been on this interesting journey where, um, you, well, let, let's actually take a step back really quick and let us talk about product market fit. Sure. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about that journey. How did you discover these win-win-wins? Did yeah. you know that in the onset of what you were doing? Um, how did that morph and change over time? So yeah. get us to the point of go to market. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you work for a company, you can always find inefficiencies and you can be that employee. I'm like, man, if I had my own company, I could do this. And I see this wrong. I could change this. It's very humbling. And that's why this word humility is very strong in this, on this topic, because there's so much that you don't realize when you start a company versus when you're working in a company, how much has already been set up. And the one thing that I've learned is no matter how much you know, you have to have an open mind to learn more. You have to be open to criticism. You have to be open to help. And you have to be able to raise your hand and say, I don't know. And honestly, that's how you build trust and relationships as opposed to just coming in like the corporate mentality I used to have is do it this way. Yes, yes, no, no, fill it in, sign here, right? So so my journey started with going into the market thinking that we were just going to dominate and everybody's going to love us and all my relationships are going to come in. But I didn't realize how much we had to actually get the MVP built in a software. I've never built software before. Get that going. And then also get it out in the market to because it's a two-sided market. You have to get feedback from the customer and you have to get feedback from the vendors, right? So both of them are giving you feedback on this works. I love this. Or, hey, I wish this feature was here. And so we started creating focus groups. And so it considered a a focus group would be a vendor, a customer, and then maybe just like an advisor in compliance or something. So they're all giving us feedback. And it's just kind of making that perfect cocktail. Add a little bit more here, tweak this, right? And so after a year and a half, and like, even though COVID was a bad situation for everybody, it ended up, there's, there's also positives that came out of COVID. I mean, we were able to fine tune and get our MVP to market. We were able to get good feedback. And we were able to lock in contracts with some very large customers. And so we've been able to do pilot tests and field tests over the last eight months. And we've made tweaks. And now we're working towards integration and quick scalability. So that's why we're raising funds. We're going to that next phase. So um, it's been a journey, if that answers your question there, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you guys have been pretty smart. It sounds like you all have been very smart and intentional about how you did this. Um, you were able to identify three personas, bring them together into conversations and put together a pretty solid product. And um, so I think that's really commendable. Nice, nice work. Um, Thank you. So, so now we're at this point where you're looking at your go-to-market strategy and do you currently have a go-to-market right now? We do. Yeah. So, okay. so tell us about how you found that. Yeah. So our, our strategy now is, I mean, we're still a small company with funding. We're going to scale up and grab, do more business development, but we're doing, we're going to start doing content marketing. We're doing more of a channel approach, working with these people, because the, the interesting thing with our marketplace is that a vendor can be a customer 
or a customer can be a vendor. So it just really depends on who has the material. So we're approaching people that have a large database, anybody like in a channel scenario where they can actually, they're in front of a lot of eyeballs and we're incentivizing them to be kind of soldiers for us and saying, we'll incentivize you if you can just say, we're adding a value add to this solution because pick on a customer that's selling a new technology and that customer, their customer is like, this proposal is too high. Well, I can provide extra value if you're putting new technology in because our partner RGX will come in and give you value for the recycled material. And that instead of knocking down my quote, I'm giving you an overall discount because you're saving money on old retired equipment. So that kind of circular economy lifecycle management is where we're coming with our, uh, with our go-to-market. So it's the channel, the content marketing. And then we're also looking at, uh, we've had a lot of people come to us and say, we love what you're doing. We want to actually license your software and white label it so we can put it in part of our solution. And so we're kind of exploring that option as more of a, a licensing solution with integration on top of the direct, direct sales. So those are the three areas. Got it. Okay. So let, let's talk about that a little bit in terms of being humble and how you got to that point. Yeah. So how did you discover these things? I mean, because I, I can kind of see the dots connecting a little bit in terms of you had these focus groups, Yep. you put your customers first, you put your profiles first, you're putting these focus groups together. What product would make sense? Obviously you're going to be building relationships with key people during that entire time. Yeah. Um, so now you've got some key critical relationships, right. which when you said you're going to do content marketing, I was like, oh, that naturally makes sense because of what you discovered in your focus groups. Now, you know, all the pain points for each one of your profiles, each one of your personas. Um, and so going down that content road, um, is it, it kind of, it's a natural, when you said that, I was like, oh, that's a natural step. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Cause you really understand your persona. Yeah. Um, is that kind of how it was for you? Is it like, oh yeah, this feels like the natural place that we should go. Or did you have like a moment where you just kind of had to eat your cereal and, and sit down and be like, you know, maybe I was wrong about what I thought we should do. Yeah. A little bit of both. And that's why it's humbling, right? You, right. Uh, the best thing I could say is you have to check your ego when you start a company, you know? So you have a perception and you're myopic going down this road, I'm going to be successful, but you have to realize the road is, can be a highway. If you're open to feedback and criticism and saying, you can grow this way. You can grow this way. My goal is to try and go a mile deep and an inch wide. And now it's kind of, I don't want to go a mile wide and an inch deep because sometimes you go shotgun approach, you lose focus of who you are on the company and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Last thing you want to do is become the, the company that says, I do everything because then you, the customers don't really know. So we wanted to focus on automation and ROI. But, you know, with the way that the, the climate change and ESG, which stands for environmental uh, sustainability, the sustainability metrics and the goals that are out there, especially in corporate America of everybody wanting to kind of making their impact, that's become a huge piece of us. We just kind of fell into the fact of the clean tech solution, right? We just kind of fell into the fact that we're also a cloud solution, removing standard ad- administration. So when you can, remu- when you can add automation, you can add a clean tech component to it with environmental impact, and you can give transparency and education uh, because you're, you're not only informing the vendors of how to do business, but you're helping the customers find their goals. Not all the customers know, they're just kind of keeping their head down. And so that's been the humbling piece for me, as well as learning the psychology of a customer, because everybody's driven by different incentives and compensation. So 
if you tie their compensation to a different incentive, the behavior change, right? So you change the incentive, you change the behavior. <laughs> and that's been, a that's been a challenge. Interesting. Yeah, in terms of building your product too, right? Because Absolutely. you have created an ecosystem full of incentives. Yeah. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier, because a lot of the people in my audience are, are entrepreneurs and also community managers. Okay. And to your point, you know, not, I would say, not only when you're starting a company, do you need to have humility, but also when you're starting a community, when you're really kind of starting anything, you have to have that. Um, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn approach. Right. And I think if you have that mindset of, um, you know, I don't look at my losses as losses. I look at them as, as learning opportunities to get me closer to where I'm actually trying to achieve. The other observation I want to make really quick about you is, which is, which is, I find interesting compared to other interviews I've done um, with tech founders is um, a lot of times, you know, the natural, the, the natural process, uh, the natural evolution of a product is you start really in, in a niche um, and you're almost like a popcorn solution. Yeah. And then you prove out the concept. So pop your, you know, we call them popcorn machines. Like yeah. look at my little popcorn machine. It does this little special thing. It makes popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you guys were a little bit more complex than that. I mean, you, you're a full engaged platform, uh, right. a marketplace on the outset. Right. So you, you were dealing with much more complexity. And so I, I love what you were talking about when you were discussing about how it's easy to open the aperture and take a shotgun approach, which for you in your case, I think probably would have been difficult. So there. I'm imagining that you and your co-founder like probably got into some pretty heated discussions yeah. about how do we, wh where's our focus going? How do we, do we need to divert our focus? Do we need to increase our, you know, increase the aperture? And navigating that blind would be very difficult because you're not a popcorn machine. You're, right. you're much more than that. You're dealing with three personas right off the get-go that you have to create those unit economics for in this marketplace system. So well, and um, the hardest thing for you is in that, in that metaphor of the popcorn machine, what if you took that to market and everybody you talk to about the popcorn machine says, I love it. I, I, I want to eat the popcorn right now, but nobody buys it. <laughs> so you're like, what is it that are, that's humility? Because I come from a sales background and it's a whole different approach where I thought we were closed. What's going on? And then it's like three months later, like the CEO is still knocking the door saying, can we get going? Are we, are we, are we able to do a field test? Can we do a pilot? Can we do a demo? Where are we at with this? You know, never once have we said, this is a, have we gotten feedback from a focus group, from a customer or a vendor saying, this is not going to work. No way. Every time it kind of fills up your tank when you get that feedback, this is awesome. We love it. But then the action has to follow the words, right? Yeah, so then yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of humbling. You're like, are you just making me feel good? Or are we actually onto something that you might want to utilize? <laughs> so it sounds like there's a story there. I'd love to hear that. And this goes back to a conversation of a few months ago. In the tech founder circle, we had a discussion about paid beta or non-paid beta. And I think you just... You're, 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 what you're saying is what we ultimately came to in that discussion was, you know, you if you can do a paid version of a beta, you need to, because yeah. to your point, especially when you're going after family and friends, they're going to tell you that the product's great. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and so, yeah, you, you've got to create a situation where you're asking people to, to vote with their purchase. 
Yeah. Um, so it's, it sounded like there was a little bit of a story there. Do you want to dive into that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was uh, check your ego is the first thing I'll start with. And it was relationships. And so I just kind of assumed the relationship would give me the business. And then when, you know, a few weeks go by, maybe a couple months go by and you're following up, I felt like the ex-girlfriend stalking somebody. I'm like, Hey, can we get going? You know, and it's okay. I mean, my biggest thing to understand is that your fire drill isn't somebody else's like, like fire drill, right? You know, my, my issues every day is not the same as your issues every day. And so when I'm dealing with other companies, they might be dealing with a hundred other things that are priority. And honestly, you're going to hear this the most, and I'll be the first to say it is that recycling and disposal isn't the first thing on people's mind. <laughs> so when you're dealing with a world in, in materialism and all of that, everybody's always looking at the latest and greatest. How can I get that in my hands as quickly as possible? Nobody's really thinking about how do I make sure I get rid of the stuff that it was yesterday's news done in the right way. It just piles up in a closet or it's not a priority. And then all of a sudden I'm here knocking on the door saying, I'm going to help you with this. It was almost a joke. I was going to put some swag together to hand out to customers, like a, like a roll of toilet paper with our logo on it because we come and clean up, <laughs> but you know, it's yeah. just, nobody thinks about the back end really. And so that was humbling because it's like, my priority was to get business going, but at the same time, dealing with a relationship that wasn't their priority. And it, it, it's not a knock on anybody. It was just different sets of priorities and focus in a daily business. They're running a business. I'm running a business. And sometimes you're just missing the frequency, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I want to dive into that. Uh, we got to wrap up here in just a couple of minutes, but sure. um, the, I, what you're talking about, I think every entrepreneur has to learn, um, which is that we get really excited. Like we read Simon Sinek's book and we've watched nine, the 1984 Apple commercial and we've heard Steve Jobs <laughs> talk about, you know, we don't talk about our product. We talk about our why. And so we make a mistake when we think people are going to just buy our why, which they do, but it's not as simple as you think. Yeah. Right. So, so you are the, you know, like the third person I've, I've had an interview with, I'm thinking about an interview I did a couple of weeks ago with Cameron Stoker. And he was talking about how he was really passionate about accessibility, education, accessibility for the disabled. Yeah. And he realized that the people that implement accessible education uh, products and platforms, they're, they're, um, and it's not a knock on anybody. It's just that their um, motivations are not his motivations. Correct. He, they're not as passionate about it as he is. Yeah. And so he's, so his first iteration, it's his story is really cool because his first iteration of the product, it was all about accessibility and he thought everyone was going to buy it. And then he realized that in order to be a social good company, he has to figure out, well, what drives, what motivates my buyer and my user and how can I achieve my mission by helping them solve problems? Right. That, so it's not achieve the mission, achieve the mission for us. And everyone's like, oh yeah, we want to help you achieve your mission. Yeah. Even though they say your mission's really cool, you have to dive a little bit deeper and go into the motivational economics of each of the personas that you're going after, which it sounds like you've done. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. And I'll lead with, you know, I, I'm always trying to do personal growth. That's the biggest thing about starting a company is it's not only just the focus of the company, but you need to take time and do some personal growth because where you're coming from and where you are now are two different worlds. And 
you know, I, I just read a book recently called The Obstacle is the Path. And I don't know if anybody's read that. I'd recommend it to any entrepreneur. It's by Ryan Holiday. And instead of running around or running away from a situation that might cause obstacles or challenge, you run into it and you figure out how to do it. But I've also got the driving factor, get it done, make it happen. And that's not the way you do it with some relationships, especially if they're relationships that you already have. You have to kind of, you have to cater them. You have to foster them and you have to set the seed and let it grow as opposed to trying to force water and sunlight on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is such an excellent way to end this interview. Um, Sean, thanks for spending the time to talk about this. I think your story is really interesting. It's really cool. Um, I appreciate you bringing your humility to this conversation and being able to open up and be a little bit vulnerable. Uh, really appreciate that. And uh, if anyone has any questions or wants to reach out, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, my email is uh, Sean at RecycleGX.com. It's S-E-A-N at RecycleGX.com. And, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Recycle a Global Exchange is our, is our company. And I'd love to help out anybody that's struggling and give some advice. 